Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Just I've always said it. that Aaron, he's he's far too prepared for this. So once in a while, it's good to know that he's got a human side to him. He can wing it. Thank you very Film much. Yumeji. What? Yumeji. Yumeji Tsukioka. That is the one name I didn't look up. I would yeah, say Yumeji Tsukioka is, is sure. about right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yumeji probably, but. Oh, God. Anyway. Wait, we are recording. Jason, you've you've gotten. How do you always again. fall for that? Do you just because never have the, this? It's the new Zencaster UI. So I was looking in the middle like, oh, it's not. There's not a little Honestly, recording Honestly, if, if I could find like a, 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 a GitHub script or something to like disable that view for you guys you just can't see the timer you can't see the star that would absolutely be like one number one most requested Zencaster feature don't let my guests see what i'm doing ever so at all almost certainly client side they'd have to yeah they have to program that right just just for you jason jason just wants she, jason just wants further executive powers as the producer of the, the podcast iron fist of, i of have Mr. been one thing is i've been giving Zencaster llc like twenty dollars a month for like two and a half years to keep doing this. Can you really? Yeah, you it's, paid it's, hundreds of dollars. Yeah, we didn't pay any Jesus. of that. Wait a minute. I, I, I told you guys when I was going to premiere with it, but it's because I now make three podcasts, and it's very difficult to do it with the oh sure with the free. Yeah, version I guess you're right. I going. only make two podcasts, so I don't really need any of that shit. I don't know that you even make a podcast. <laughs> no, not really. I I would say that I guessed in perpetuity on a podcast on a couple of podcasts here we all are on this podcast full of guests uh it's called try love thank you very much for listening we are a literal rant of a podcast about movies we saw and people we met at the trial on cinema in minneapolis minnesota you can find us on twitter at try love podcast you can find the trial on at trial on cinema and at trylon.org get tickets there to movies like the one we're about to talk about and others in the same series my name is jason daphnis i hate myself for all my misery and you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus I'm Cody, the other big C, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Sapporo has good beer. Let's drink it later. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name is Aaron, and all of the quotes in this movie were too sad, so the empty silence here for a second. And you can find me on Twitter at RB Please. Thank you, Cody. I... I should say that this movie that we're about to discuss, I'm, I'm still floored because he wasn't sure if he was going to go for it, but he did. He did. The Madman, he did. Uh, I was going to say um, uh, uh, The Eternal Breasts, you mean Hooters, uh, but I, I didn't. This is uh, a, a film that's playing in the series of on Kinuyo Tanaka's movies at the Trilon. Um, I'm forgetting the actual name of the series, which I can... The precise compositions of Kinuyo Tanaka playing throughout September at the Trilon. Go to link in the show notes or just trilon.org and check out their calendar. Cody, you got one bean in. Uh, what flavor do we go for and what's the rating so far? Love love the bit where we're calling out their spicy bean intake on on the episode. Um, that has always been... Excuse me, excuse me. That has always been the point of the bean. That Mm-mm. it's a bit that is on the pod. Otherwise, it why exists, are we doing it? It exists. I know part of this podcast. It is. It I know. Is I'm a just a lowly. I'm just a lowly former stats major. But I think less than half of the 
spicy beans have been called out on yes. microphone. That's because um, you today. usually don't even tell us when you're doing it. You're just like, oh, I just, you know, I did it already. I did it five minutes or ago. Or maybe the guests of uh, the roundtable of guests on this podcast just choose to selectively care when Not it's convenient. This today this was one habanero. I noticed. Yeah. Okay. Today was and habanero. Where is that on the, if that's like absolutely burning your dick off to like uh, just a nice glass of cold milk, where is that for you? Um, that's, uh, of the five, this bean boozled, um, courtesy of jelly belly box <laughs> has it as the second spiciest. Um, I don't know if I would go that far. Um, yeah. cause some of these, the sriracha good? hits me harder. They're, they taste you know awful. what? They're, they're something to, they're okay. an acquired yeah. taste. We'll, we'll go with that. I, I, I tried All of one. a sudden I just can't get enough. I tried one at Cody slash Harry slash Seth slash Charlie's birthday party at Charlie's a couple months ago. It was not not very good. I, you, you're right that yeah. it is an acquired taste. It, it was not very good. I mean, good. I, it probably tastes, and I haven't tried it, so I apologize for speaking out of turn, but it probably tastes like every single spicy jelly bean I've ever had, which is just like, yeah. oh, it's jelly bean fit flavored <laughs> jelly bean that gin, just kind of burns a little bit. You, you wish it was a very cherry, but it was red, yes. and you're like, you just got to take the gamble on this one. And then it was uh, just like... Oh, nope, it's cinnamon. Yeah, vaguely mm. cinnamon, but it doesn't really yeah. taste like anything except for kind of hot and... Uh, like rubber flavored. Mm, same. Yeah. Well, uh, that's in the bean boozled check-in. Yep. Cody, give us a warning <laughs> if you do another one. Uh, but for right now, we have a movie to discuss. I'm going to let Aaron do the, ooh, he's, what are you, si- uh, while we're doing the whole nobody can see the video thing, what are you sipping, yeah, big this man? Yeah, is great. Uh, I'm sipping a, some sort of a beer. Uh, my wife opened a beer and was like, oh, I didn't realize they're tall boys and she was like i don't actually want an entire beer can i pour you the second half of this beer so i have a i have a a carlsberg half of a carlsberg in a in a glass here you know as a recently minted semi-wife guy i must say i now am qualified to say that is the one of the most common experiences of having a significant other oh i'm not done i'm not drinking this whole beer have it I'm not it's, done with this food. I'm not going to eat yeah. this food. It's too small I'll, to take home in a box. This was a wife up, guy check-in. I'll catch up with you guys when I am too. I'm a semi-wife guy. I don't yeah, know if that's I, a yeah, thing. Yeah, man. It's, no, I'm, you are not yellow card on the play. The, I'm stealing, wife, I'm stealing finger, wife guy valor. That's see right. See this camera? You see this on the finger? I don't, really, that is I don't respect the institution of marriage. I love well, how we're just desperate to not talk about the movie. Yeah, this is ended up. Yeah, you need to... I don't know. It's yeah. it's pretty devastating. But Aaron, you got to give us the patented Aaron Grossman summary, yeah. delivered once again by Aaron Grossman himself, originator and patent holder of the patented Aaron Grossman summary, under exclusive license by Aaron Grossman Enterprises okay, LLC. This, that's good. Uh, we're talking about Forever a Woman, 1955 film mentioned earlier, directed by Kunio Tanaka. Uh, as also mentioned earlier, the film was also called The Eternal Breasts. Uh, I think commonly more called that uh, the trial is going with forever a woman so we'll, i guess we'll go with forever a woman uh the film is based on the life of a uh, real life japanese poet named fumiko nakajo uh who lived from 1922 to 1954 uh nakajo specifically wrote uh tanka poetry which is a kind of poetry that uh very roughly consists of five lines each this is all from wikipedia each line having five seven, five, seven, and then seven syllables. Although I don't know if that's how it's structured in the film. I'm not an expert. Uh, Wikipedia lists the following poem uh, by Ishikawa uh, Takuboku as a representative Tonka poem. On the white sand of the beach of a small island in the eastern sea, I, my face streaked with tears, am playing with a crab. 
There you go. Uh, that is a Tanka poem. The film stars uh, Yumeji uh, Tsukioka as the aforementioned poet uh, Nakajo, uh, who divorces her husband uh, and the father of her two children after she finds out that he is unfaithful to her. Um, she works on her poetry and attends a kind of a like a group uh, poetry circle. Um, and although she says that uh, uh, that her poems kind of exaggerate the events of her life, specifically her relationship with her husband, it's kind of clear that they they also voice her uh, discontent in a lot of ways. Shortly afterwards, she is uh, diagnosed, very sadly, uh, with late-stage breast cancer. Um, she undergoes a double mastectomy, unfortunately too late. Uh, and near the end of her life, her poetry, as well as her relationships with those around her, I think specifically uh, Atsuki, who is a journalist uh, in the film played here by uh, Ryoji Hayama, uh, help her come to term with uh, her life and her death. Uh, the film was one of six directed by Tanaka, uh, whose career is uh, quite important to Japanese film and kind of film in general. Um, she was, uh, of course, a director, but also a very prominent and prolific actor during her life. Uh, her most prominent roles uh, generally were in the films of uh, Mizoguchi. I think Ugetsu is probably the best example, um, although she, she was in a lot of prominent films, including those of Ozu uh, as well. Uh, I've read that she was Japan's second female director. I've read that. Uh, she's often credited as the first really prominent female director in Japan. I'm not sure how dirty that does the, the first female director. Um, her films often spoke to a uh, feminine point of view uh, and often kind of took a, a deep look at societal and gender norms uh, in post-war Japan. Uh, her films were also not really... Uh, largely kind of recognized internationally, uh, although that has changed a bit in the, the past decade or so. Uh, in 2012, there was kind of a retrospective on her work uh, at the University of Leeds. And then uh, in 2021, all six of the films uh, that she directed were screened theatrically uh, at Cannes, uh, as well as the Lyon Film Festival. So her, her work is kind of coming into greater acceptance outside of Japan in the recent years. Uh, that's a, a lot of rambling and asides, but uh, no, pass it back to you, Jason. It was all valid. And I love Thanks. the context of like where she was in Japanese cinema because the name Kunio Tanaka was not familiar to me when this series was announced. I was vaguely interested in it. But as I do with a lot of trial on series that are based around movies I haven't seen, I try not to learn too much about them before going in because I'd rather do dry run, like pick up the pieces around the context later, see if that helps me like parse the thing. In this case, I sort of did that too, where, um, apologies if you hear a motorcycle in the background of my mic, uh, where I've only seen limited Ozu films. I think I've seen one Ozu film. I've seen no Mizuguchi. So the, the landscape of Japanese cinema at this time, that's not Kurosawa is pretty limited to me. Um, but even outside of that, it is like this particularly, I think is a great place to start. I'm hoping is a great place to start for Kinyo Tanaka's movies because it is just this like really, uh, em emotionally impactful image, this portrait of um, a woman and her woes in post-war Japan. Uh, I don't know, I guess I'd have to look up the dates, the uh, poet upon whom it's based, upon whom the story is based. I'm not sure if she lived during the war. 1922 yeah. to 1954, so she died after the war. So the, yeah, this came out right after she, she passed away, essentially. Gotcha. So while the specter of World War II is sort of like looming over this movie, I don't remember being like a specific plot point. Is it? There's not like a particular reason that anything like, yeah. So it's interesting to re uh, recognize it in that respect where it doesn't have any direct allusions to like gigantic 
um, uh, uh, sociopolitical movements of the time as a whole, like even Godzilla in 1954 was obviously hearkening directly back to that. With this, it's way more of a personal tale and focusing on uh, like the very material realities that women faced, uh, and specifically women who tried to seek, uh, you know, profession or life outside of the home. And I mean, again, I'm not a sociologist for this stuff. I'm probably not going to do it justice, but just the concept of women sort of having a place outside of the home after, uh, or at any time in the early 1950s, early mid 1900s, um, is really like, I think strongly and without much like, uh, uh, delicacy portrayed here. It's just very like, uh, uh, very real feeling by the circumstances that surround this person. Like she's, I don't know why I almost expected her to be the character, um, Fu, Fu, Fu Miko to sort of be like, uh, in the face of all of her woes that she's faced with in the first roughly third of this movie, her husband is infidelious. She leaves him. She finds out that she has a terminal form of cancer that she's like, not a, sort of plucky looking for ways to overcome and be more emotionally stable. Like she's not really a bounce back type of person. And I'm not going to be able to speak to much more than just what I saw on the screen uh, again, because there's not a whole lot of social con- sociological con- context I have here, but uh, she uh, Fumiko has like a, a strong sense of self-reliance and sort of, she knows what that she wants what she wants is to like balance uh, her growing sense of importance in her career and like her desire to be loved uh, and to love. And like, and when she doesn't have that, she very clearly shows it. It's, you know, she's often uh, not well for the, you know, uh, extent of her sorrows and she's very upset and it's just very like realistically portrayed. I think Um, there's like, it's, it is like obviously all about, like I said, the, I won't say struggles of womanhood or anything because I'm a straight white guy on a podcast. I can't use that phrase to describe anything, but uh, it is very much about the state of, you know, what it was like to be a woman in society in 19, in 1950s Japan, or I guess from that range. Um, and the things that sort of uh, that people at the time thought defined the woman, the, like the female experience, I guess there's a whole lot of, especially the setup to this movie is other people sort of talking about the main character, sort of like talking about how she is a very woeful person. She has a lot of problems and Hey, that I think it's one of the people at her poetry group. One of the women is like, uh, you know, bitter. What is it? She says something about bitter experiences, make good stories, make or poems better or poems. Yeah. Make better poems. And it's like, this is sort of like how other people are, into, are, uh, uh, projecting their ideas of womanhood onto this person who is experiencing, uh, you know, sort of like a, a tragic version of like, trying to move through the world. And like I said, love, be loved, raise children, have a career, all this kind of stuff. And things are just like sorrows are being beset upon her almost left and right. Um, and, but what we get in that first third is other people's views of that. Even the guy who's, uh, you know, really trying to empathize with her and stuff still only sees her by her sorrows, still only sees her by what she, uh, you know, is putting out into the world as far as like, um, uh, her, her poetry is, is beautiful, wonderful, but it belies like a real sadness kind of thing. It feels patronizing to an extent from whoever it comes from. That's a lot of word vomit about like the, the feeling that this movie gave me. I'm, I was really positive on it. I really did like ultimately came back with a, like a very positive, um, you know, estimation of the movie it doesn't make you feel very good because it is a very sad movie. Um, but I think it's like in an interesting way at an interesting time from an interesting voice, picking at a, a like uh, a, a, a topic that could be very like flattened and more easily 
approached or more like stereotypically approached, but it didn't take any easy routes toward that, I suppose. Um, there are a, a lot of really good places to start from where you started, Jason. So I really appreciate that. Um, something I didn't think about while write or while watching the movie, but I'm thinking about a lot now is its relationship to Ozu movies. Um, particularly the fact that in Ozu movies, the specter of World War II as this changing, modernizing force looms so large. And that is very pointedly not the case in this movie. In fact, I would argue that this movie is much more about uniting the past present and future in terms of how a woman experiences them. There's a really fascinating thing that happens here where I, for instance, the only thing I knew about this movie was that it's about a woman who gets breast cancer and she has to reevaluate her life. That doesn't happen. The sort of inciting incident that I would have assumed would have been the first act doesn't happen until we're about halfway through the movie. And it is just an extension of the same sort of agency eradicating tension that Fumiko has to um, deal with that she's really been dealing with for her entire life, right? Like it's almost seen that her um, inability to care for herself and her inability to sort of be independent as a, a woman is because of her breast cancer is not so different from the financial difficulties that she faced or so different from how her um, the dissolution of her marriage was perceived, right? Um, her line throughout this movie that I think speaks to her character maybe more than anything else is she refuses to be pitied, right? And I found this to be like this really trenchant examination of the ways in which to be a woman and sort of going off of the title even, either the eternal breasts or forever a woman, Fumiko is constantly at this sort of um, existential tension with um, society, right? Where it's like there are all of these roles that women are consigned to. And even with sort of like the best of intentions, like pity, though patronizing and, and though destructive, does come from a place of well-meaning in some cases, right? Particularly from her parents, particularly from her um, best friend's husband, whom she's in love with. Um, all of these people pity her. And that is so um anathema to her and and she hates it so much because that is not how she wants to be perceived and even her poetry career becomes a yet another sort of um tendril of that same struggle that she has right where it's like when she first meets this journalist she's so convinced that she that he is there to essentially rob her identity from her by making her into this tragic poetess that once she's dead, her poems can be consumed within that context. And that can be the legacy that she leaves behind. Because right? he's doing like a series on, right. you know, this dying poet, not like right. as part and, of and like her, celebrating this woman's work or life. And it's so, it's so true to like actually how female authors are often regarded, right? Like you think about like confessional, confessional literature and the fact that like, oh, like Sylvia Plath was only like known in, you know, this is a Western example because I'm more familiar with Western literature, but like she was credited with sort of like inventing this confessional style because everybody had to read all of her works as autobiographical when in fact her works were not any more or less autobiographical than men's. It was just the way they were perceived. Right. So there's a lot of this here too, where, um, everybody wants Fumiko to be sort of, um, categorized and sorted into this very organized place where they can know how they feel about her and they can have this comfortable relationship with her life, right? Oh, it's so sad what happened to her. Oh, is it's it's so tragic that she was this bright voice that was that had to struggle with this. And throughout 
she has this um, tension with both herself and everyone else where she does not want to be consigned in that way. And she doesn't want to give people the easy emotional out that they are attempting to um, extract from her. Right. And what's really interesting about that in particular for me is she also has this sort of um, dual tension with herself where she is both rejecting of the sort of social signifiers of value and caste, and she is clearly affected by them, right? Like she has a lot of self-loathing because of the um, emotions that she feels that don't align comfortably with the role that she's supposed to have, right? Like she clearly dislikes herself for the fact that she's in love with her friend's husband. Um, she is frustrated with herself that she let her marriage dissolve, even though, as she points out, she didn't want that marriage in the first place. She has a very um, tumultuous relationship with her children. And I think all of these things do such a great job of intersecting with what happens when um, when breast cancer also robs someone of identity, right? Like the central metaphor of literally losing your breasts, losing the symbol of your womanhood. Um, it really sort of is a great reframing device for how women experience womanhood, womanhood and how their womanhood intersects with and conflicts with their ability to make an identity for themselves, right? And I think that like it really becomes stunning in scenes like the final scene that she has with her children or the scene that she has with the journalist uh, in his sort of sleeping bag in her hospital. Um, but even earlier on in the, the first part of this movie, when it's less explicitly, when we have a less central metaphor than the breast cancer, there are all sorts of moments, right? There are all sorts of framing devices outside looking in um, or the bars that recur throughout visually in this movie, um, looking out of windows down into like crowds of people or people walking away. Um, there are all of these things that, that demonstrate how Fumiko is at this very uncomfortable distance from who other people want her to be and sort of the prevailing narratives that would be foist upon her. Um, and I really love that. And I particularly love the way that it is extended um, throughout such that it doesn't feel like the breast cancer is a sea change the way it might in an Ozu movie so much as it is a continuation of the same sort of struggles that Fumiko was always heir to, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think that's pretty well said. And I kind of sticking along this same sort of road we're on. I mean, the, the word that I came out of, I mean, I can't came out of my viewing of this movie with a lot of words and, and thoughts, but like unflinching was something that I kept, circling back to like sort of in the in the same way that i guess you know ozu's name has cropped up a few times already but you know in the same way that his were and i'm not that i'm an expert on him either um having seen just like a handful of his films up to the up to this point but like in the way that he is is he's sort of uh was sort of unafraid to like we're gonna get a sense of the sort of social um like environment that the situation is taking place in, we're going to receive, you know, a lot of different types of um, like, oh God, I'm going to use the word data again, but just like through data, through conversations with like people and have all of these inputs and like together, those will like build up a situation. And through that, we can like learn some really important, um, fascinating things from, from that. And like, that feels like the case um, you know, here as well. Obviously it's an entirely different um, viewpoint and perspective and situation, but um, you know, like, Tanaka is taking a pretty 
like I, I think bold, unflinching. Like we we see all the different inputs in this woman's life, um, with the unifier sort of being that um that Fumiko is taking on. She's absorbing a lot of these things for the betterment of like herself and her children and you know her sort of weighing the things of you know uh, especially in the sort of first act of she feels this you know commitment to her children to being a mother and she's apprehensive of uh you know with um like pursuing you know acting on that this talent that everybody says that she has and then her sort of like undergoing the or facing those mental hurdles once that balance shifts and watching that play out in sort of real time is is extremely fascinating and we see those things play out um alongside some pretty uh breathtaking camera work which we may uh, get to talking to but like though like a lot of uh camera work and, and shots and cuts in this movie feel very fearless and that i think pairs really well with these sorts of things with that you know to to what Jason said earlier, like uh, there are a lot of things in this movie that don't particularly feel good. They're very uncomfortable, but especially with the benefit of hindsight, um, you know, looking back, like these things feel very critical and essential and all these things coincide kind of, uh, again, fascinatingly with this woman who spends in a lot of different situations, um, just uh, throughout like, you know, the 100 or so minutes, um, like she's spending a lot of her time hiding, um, from, from things and and from people her sort of you know um jumping through hoops to not be present at her brother's wedding because of her divorce and then i think when she's out in public she's also like hiding from her ex i don't know if i misread that scene or anything but like um uh, and then when she escapes from you know where she's being kept following her surgery um she's dodging the journalist she's dodging her son who's at school um it's the sort of like mortifying ordeal of being known or seen or perceived um you can there's also yeah there's also the fact that she refuses to have her poems published right that becomes a very big deal within the poem or within the story too yeah 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 for sure and you know like it's not uh, a, a particularly, you know, it's, it's a perspective that maybe back then it was tough to relate to as a viewer, or maybe because, you know, um, Tanaka was such a, a trailblazer, you know, like seeing like, you know, like, are we supposed to be like, are we as people supposed to care about this perspective when put into a film, which is a ridiculous question, but, um, you know, like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm very thankful that this movie exists. I came out of this feeling very positive. Um, um, it, it could very easily be chalked up to like, oh, this is, you know, a movie where, um, I it's, <laughs> I I don't hate me. I did think of terms of endearment in a few different ways because like, but sure. like, uh, like a, a, yeah. a much, an, yes. a much better version <laughs> granted um, that ends on, you know, like us staying, you know, the final act being comprised of like, we are going to like, we we've suffered with this woman. We've watched her suffer and like, we need to do our due diligence of be, like being witness to, her final moments of life like we like we owe it to this person just as would be it would as would be the case for any person who is in you know this type of situation having gone through all this like mm-hmm. basking in those final few moments like i don't know that that those those images feel just like the more i think about them even you know more and more important absolutely yeah like and like it, it rings true what you're saying with the movie about um her death and like paying uh in sort of a way paying respect to it it like 
her note to her children at the end is, you know, uh, I like think on my death, accept my death. It is the only thing I bequeath to you. And then credits, boom, the end, uh, that, that I think that is absolutely a through line. Um, that like this person's life is worth examining, worth seeing with, I mean, for, for lack of a better phrase with warts and all, like there's, excuse me, it's the, um, judgments of people around her are like, I think the most harshly portrayed things. Like there's a whole lot of, um, uh, sympathy with empathy with the character. Obviously like these are things that are universally, uh, emotionally, uh, tumultuous divorce and taking your children and finding a new career and having certain like doubts about whether or not you want to have it published. And obviously, uh, you know, terminal disease, uh, diagnosis, but like, if you just chalk up and I'm not going to get them all, but like the characters in this movie that make certain uh, assumptions or judgments about Fumiko, um, I'm thinking of the guy, the poetry thing who feels bad for like her best friend's husband that she's in love with feels bad for her. He thinks he understands like her inner pain because of that. And that's like, whether that's a sympathetic, uh, you know, feeling or not, it is still an assumption about the woman that sort of removes, like Harry was saying, removes a little bit of agency and her ability to determine herself to the outside world. There's, um, the lady again, who at, at, at poetry says that like bitter experiences, she thinks she understands her, uh, Harry brought up Otsuki, the journalist who sort of wants to be able to broadcast her story in the most, unfortunately in the most sensational headlineable way possible, which is, artist is dying, pay attention to dying artist rather than artist is artist, art good, pay attention. You know, I, I, it's a really simplistic way I think of looking at it, but it like when I think no, about the, su- the supporting that's cast, totally it becomes it. the supporting cast becomes as like, and the characters built around her, I think are just as important to telling that story, to telling uh, Fumiko's story as like Fumiko herself as a vessel for it. Uh, I forget whose hand was up first, but um, I think. I, do you want to go ahead, Aaron? I talked before you talked last. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I just have a, a kind of a short point to make based off that, and maybe this maybe this will tie into whatever Harry wants to say too. Where I, I think this is a movie that, d- due to the nature of kind of her illness, right? And it's, I think that it's, you know, this is not a film in which she is struggling to stay alive uh, uh, against breast cancer. Obviously, she is right, but I think that the audience has a, a fairly complete understanding, maybe by 10, 15 minutes, even after she is diagnosed that, that she's going to die at the end of this film. Right. Um, and I I think that kind of due to that, the, the, you know, there is obviously a lot of drama around that, but the, the main thing that she is, is fighting against here is that, uh, at least as far as my reading goes, that she is, she's fighting to kind of remain independent and to grasp a hold of her life, uh, despite several kind of outside factors, trying to create various narratives and stories based on who she is. And yes, her particularly role society, the, right? the narrative, yes. right? That's totally it. Yeah. So I mean, specifically her, her role is uh, a mother and uh, a woman who is divorced, right? Uh, her, uh, condition as a, uh, a breast cancer patient, uh, her, her kind of, occupation, I guess, as a poet, like all of these things are, are factors that are kind of driving, uh, people to kind of, uh, not, I don't think it's like viewed as like gossip necessarily, but like discuss in a manner that, that kind of wrests control away from her and, in, in kind of a, uh, you know, a pretty bad fashion. I think that, yeah. uh, a comparison that Harry made was to Ozu and even it's like a weird comparison, but something like, I think good morning, uh, which we discussed Briefly, I don't think we had a full episode on it, but as part of a, another episode, um, that is also a film, you know, it is a comedy, but that is a film about uh, Japanese society at roughly a similar time and how kind of word travels based on 
this kind of stuff, right? It is about it. And by the time we joke that it felt kind of Midwestern in a weird way, right? Because I think we see these kind of social dynamics. Like I, I certainly kind of felt this kind of stuff growing up where like people talk, they create stories about this kind of stuff and it can feel to the individual that they have really no control over how they're portrayed. And I think that like that is the main conflict that I, I saw viewing this film, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, impossible not to think of Late Spring, the Ozu movie, yeah. while watching this one um, as well, which is very much about all of that. Um, yeah, I just like particularly, I think that the the sort of well-meaning condescension that we've been alluding to, it's even more pernicious than gossip, right? Because it is not even petty. It is It is deeper than pettiness, right? It's dehumanizing. Like all of these people want to make Fumiko first into this like dignified fallen divorcee woman uh, who, oh, isn't she something to be, isn't she pathetic? Isn't she something to be pitied? Um, and then when she gets breast cancer and when she becomes a poet, they want to take all of these things from her and reframe the meaning that they had to her into something that is convenient for their understanding of the way the world works, right? They want to make her very particularly by the end of this movie. And this was the thing that really stuck out to me because it feels so deeply resonant with like real life, especially when it comes to like artists who died before their time. Like I'm thinking of like Kurt Cobain or really like any artist who died before their time. Um, Sylvia Plath is another great example. They want to make her into, into Amy Winehouse, into somebody who like was so pure and had these beautiful womanly emotions and had to deal with death and did so with dignity and bravery. And from her perspective, she's like, nah, I didn't even want to do poetry. I just had the hots for the dude who was doing poetry. That's what poetry means to me. Like, but like, honestly, I know that's a crass way to say it, but like, she was like, oh yeah, I never wanted to get into poetry. The only reason I went to this poetry club was to hang out with you. Uh, and I just like, that was an escape from the life that I was consigned to for me. And um, I don't, oh wow. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, uh, I like, it wasn't about poetry for me. It was about sort of like being able to feel the way I used to feel when we were in love that way. And it's like, that is something that she doesn't want taken from her. Right. And like, it's so amazing to, to see how that tension where it's like, you are not going to take the reality of my emotions, ugly as they may be away from me versus what everybody else is trying to do. It becomes this, you know, like I loved how in the second act of this, um, this movie, she is making so much quote unquote trouble for everybody. Right. Because it's like, won't everybody is like, won't you just like be comfortable and like, stop trying to escape from the hospital. Stop like showing up and bathing in my house and talking about how you loved my husband. Like, can't you just like go into the hospital room and die so that we can remember how beautiful and long suffering you were in peace. And Fumiko is like the unflinching part for her. She's like, no, like you're you're going to remember that like and and the wild thing about this is that like this is attention even to herself right because like she doesn't even necessarily like in some ways she maybe wishes she could have been the person that they want her to be right or she doesn't have a counter narrative in mind because she doesn't she never was even given the the ability to construct something like that right like her love is dead right but it's like even like in the face of the way that the world has shaped me, like I am not going to be your sort of like artist saint that I can, you can consign to this very tidy understanding. And so I think that this movie does a really great job of portraying without like, it doesn't 
it doesn't portray the um the sort of like um what's being taken away from Fumiko as something that is that is petty or outright hateful or even outright misogynistic so much as it portrays it as deeply pernicious and deeply woven into the ways in which society has sort of always grappled with the fact that women just fundamentally are not what we need them to be right and like there's there's even a sort of universalizing factor there because a lot of these characters are in similar positions right i I always go back to the very ozu moment where like her brother is talking about how he wants to wear a tuxedo to his wedding and then um we cut to his wedding a scene later uh, or wait there's an argument where his mom is like no you and your wife have to wear traditional japanese clothes because that's what women look best in at their weddings. And then we cut to the next scene and they're in traditional Japanese clothes. Right. And it's like, Oh, like there is this constant tension where like these symbol signs and signifiers and, and roles that we built for ourselves have never really been expressive to what is true. And uh, what do you do with that? Right. And it's like, if you're Fumiko, it's like, you're always at this sort of tension to um, protect this understanding of your own life in the face of these people who want to take it away from you and who are in fact using the very thing that you use to express yourself um, to take it from you. Right. It's like they want her poetry to stop being about what her poetry is about and start being about what they want her poetry to be about. And that's sort of like one of the, the great stakes at play here with the journalist and with everybody. It's like, incredibly consistent throughout i mean there's a big tonal shift uh near the i guess third halfway point of the movie where she undergoes the double mastectomy and that scene is like heart very harshly and uh i think like a much stronger directing and editing hand to that scene than a lot of the movie there's like really harsh strings and it's kind of uh like an impressive scene that is like indicating this is a big plot moment right um but like I'm still stunned at how like the same sorts of things I was feeling. It's kind of like Harry was saying about how like the inciting incident of a woman who gets breast cancer and sort of has to deal with the death of, you know, her impending death kind of thing uh, is that is not um, like the, it is a peak of the, like the moment that it happens. It's a peak of the movie uh, emotionally and like formally, but it's not like it, it is remarkably consistent throughout from the, like the ways that I felt, I guess is what I'm trying to say about the character, about the world around her, about the things that people were doing around her, pl- about the plot elements that were happening in the first half of the movie really did continue in the, in the second, not to say that there was like no evolution or no development, but that like the emotional state it keeps you in is remarkably consistent. Usually it's like these things happen. uh, You sort of see the downward trend of uh, people's estimations of her and uh, like her waning health and stuff. And it just starts to slow down. But in this movie, it doesn't, it just explores that same topic, that same, uh, you know, uh, that same um, feeling from many different angles with many different characters with, with a whole lot else going on. And a lot of different, elements that you would think would be examined differently, right? But there's that uniting factor where it's like all of these elements of a woman's life become stakes in this endless struggle not to be sort of um, evaluated the way that they need her to be, right? Like even something as different as a divorce, as breast cancer, as poetry, all of these things, they have the potential to be taken away from her and made into something that will be used by outside forces to define her, right? And 
it's it's amazing to see those things unified. Um, Cody made a really great point about um, this movie's relationship to Millennium Actress because I mean I think that that's a really great point in that like that character is going through a very similar struggle to um, define her own life story in the face of the fact that her art can also sort of be taken from her and reevaluated. Right? Is that what you meant, Cody? Yes, that is exactly what I meant, Harry. Well I don't know said. why you're being combative about this. This is very strange I'm, to me. I, I literally said yes. He agree. He did say yes. He did, he did say agree. yes. He did agree. He did can agree. we get the tra- transcript of this, Jason? Can you pull uh, that? Up? I can he said pull yes. it up. Uh, he said yes. Okay. He did say yes. Survey said um, yes. Um, go ahead. Go I don't ahead. know. If, I don't know where you, where you were going to go, Cody. I feel like you brought up the form, the filming, the shots, the cinematography of this movie, and it is much, I think, yeah. more direct and easy to talk about than a lot of this movie. Um, where, again, maintaining consistency in how it wants you to feel, it is incredibly intimate. The cinematography and sh- and like editing of this of this movie, uh, just like. I'm thinking about shots of Fumiko when she's uh, in public and I think it's Tokyo tower behind her. I, I assumed um, it's, or some equivalent uh, structure. Uh, Cause I'm not sure if Tokyo tower was built by 1955 uh, in, in the background and just incredible framing. And uh, there's like, but then that same sense of like scale and, um, and distance and intimacy carries through into interiors as well. Like there, I sent the whole scene. I clipped it out of the movie uh, where um, Otsuki is visiting her in the hospital after her mastectomy, after she's, uh, you know, starting to uh, trail off and uh, he, she climbs into bed with him and the scene just moves so naturally where like he turns around and we're seeing a shot from underneath. I think they're both up, must be up against glass or something. And we're seeing a shot from underneath and it's just so natural and, and beautiful that like you very much feel like you're in the space um, without like physically, I could not see that thing, but the emotion that they wanted, they, that Kanuya Tanaka wanted to convey, wanted me to have in regards to that scene is painted on Fumiko's face. And you're not going to see Fumiko's face if it's naturally buried in the shoulder of the man she's trying to feel close to. Right. So we go underneath the bed and, and we see the back of his head all completely profiled, blacked out and her yes. face brightly lit on the other side. It is insanely like it is strikingly beautiful. And also at the same time, like made me think, Oh, this is, this is the whole, like, again, it's, it's very consistent. It's making me th- feel the same way as I felt about her, devastation at her uh, husband's infidelity or her uh, discomfort at, you know, being an, an author of some merit and fame, you know, just like it's uh, all of these different emotions using using different um, uh, uh, tools to get me to the same like state of, of empathy and understanding with this character. Well, and, and when she is lit up, he is a silhouette, right? He is literally just a man. Yeah. He's a black outline of a man. And then we go above the, the bed and we see his face, and when he's lit up, she's just the silhouette of a woman. It's fucking it's, unbelievable. It's, it's some Tokyo scene. Drifter shit, yeah. It, it's well, it's like oh, like you could just watch that store, like that scene, and come away with like a really, really trenchant commentary on the tensions between what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman, and how trying to be those things can put people at odds or create conflicts like the one we see throughout this movie. Right? It's like just pure visual storytelling in that moment. Yeah, and I, I think you got to the crux of it, Jason, when you 
I forget the exact wording you used, but you kind of, you gestured at the idea that the, the camera work and the cinematography and like the, everything, the actual form of the picture transforms as the movie does. And as Fumiko, like her journey, like hits all of the bumps that it does like early on, you know, the first act act and a half is very it has the feeling of you know again not to just like throw his name out again but like an ozu sort of like domestic you know the drama or melodrama where yeah, yeah. um everything it pretty well contained within like the geography of the home when she's at the the poetry group it's like we're you know pivoting to either chunks of the table or i think there's you know a couple minute long table we're just literally looking at everybody sitting around the table there's this like inclusivity um and when she's you know, uh, dodge when she's trying to be hidden, she's, um, you know, when she's, uh, at her brother's wedding and trying to like corral her daughter and like find somewhere else to, to be, she's sort of dwarfed by the scale of like the architecture in the city as she is like going out and about. Um, and like the sense of scale is just like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's really well done and well visualized. And then we get some, as we get, you know, she, she gets the diagnosis, she has the surgery, she's like alone with her, her own thoughts. And just as any of our, um, you know, uh, perceptions of the world might change if we're like around people and have, you know, we're of a different mental wellness and, you know, our, our trajectories are a little bit different versus when we're alone and sitting in the dark in the same place for, you know, copious amounts of time. And just like our, our view of, of the world is, is skewed significantly. And like the camera, like I, it means more because this, it, because it is this particular kind of movie from this particular filmmaker about like this particular protagonist, but like, it's something that, like most movies don't do successfully, like, like transform with their character. Like they're like unified in that way. There's some great, Mm -hmm. like isolation, um, or rather shots, uh, uh, evoking a certain isolation when, um, she's, um, uh, going down this, you know, this hallway at the place where she's staying. And that shot is mirrored again at the, at the end. Um, Jarl already talked about the, um, the, uh, the sequence with her and the journalist together. There's just like, it, I don't know the, I don't really, uh, I'm kind of at a, I'm hitting a wall, but like, it, it's just, it's so incredible. And, like I, again i mean this yeah the latter half the latter act of this movie as the the transformation of of this character of fumiko um is one thing and her like getting to the point that she needs to get at um her sort of you know it i, I guess accepting the state of things and mm-hmm. you know passing whatever she can along to her children is one thing but the fact that the 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 camera transformed with her is just like it brings this movie to a completely different level that's a beautiful way to put it because it is like, it didn't need to be breathtaking to do to like for the movie to be effective. I think, I think in the storytelling and acting and like even just more basic, less, uh, I won't say avant-garde or like experimental because they feel pretty natural, but less like impressive visually, uh, visual presentation. It could still be quite effective, I think, but it's just this marriage of form and function. And it doesn't even need to be like those really standout shots we're talking about, like Otsuki and Fumiko on the mat, or um, like you're saying, when she's walking down the hallway uh, in that one sequence that that ends pretty terrifyingly. Um, Even like, I forget when it falls in the chronology of the movie, but she's at her best friend's house and she's in the shower singing and everybody's kind of uncomfortable with her, like, because it's an indicator that maybe she's not well, right? Uh, and her brother and Otsuki are also there and they're kind of waiting for her and the camera just 
stays in one spot while her friend goes to the bathroom and knocks on the door and says, Hey, are you okay? Are you done? And they're just like hunched over hands on their knees. The the men are just staring like down at the table wordlessly, just the most uncomfortable thing they could do in this scene. And it's just like, everybody is on the same wavelength, except this one character. Like, like I said, like it's mostly oh, about intimacy and feeling like this character does. But in that scene, particularly because it's supposed to start to feel like a detachment from the set, from who she is and like from her sense of self and control, we are now just stuck with them. Like, your friend's got to go handle their friend in another room and all you can do is sit here and wait. And it's, I mean, it's not even that long. It's like maybe 10, 15 seconds, but it's really, I don't know. It, it, it really hit. I don't know. It, it's just that one of those things where I'm almost so, is so sexy and so like fraught. I, she looks fucking amazing in that bath. That's kind of like one of the big points is that like they literally there's this little window that opens up and it slides away and she we never go inside the bathtub. We only see it from the outside looking in and she says I wanted to bathe where your husband used to bathe and when she does that she's like her skin is like luminous and her hair is like is like wet and she's smiling bigger than we've ever seen her before and Everyone else is so fucking uncomfortable yeah, in that yeah. moment. Like her her uh, friend is like shocked and horrified as you kind of would be, right? But it's like, this is what it looks like to sort of like reclaim that. And to speak to the marriage of form and function, um, that's kind of that version of framing that sort of like outside looking in and literal sort of like uh, constriction of the frame it happens throughout the movie to fumiko like even way before she's even divorced right like literally in the first scene we go through this big uh happy idyllic looking farm where everybody is cooperating and everybody's so happy and we're up in hokkaido right it's like japan country and um and then we get to fumiko and fumiko is like a storm cloud from the very moment we meet her in this and like even her mom, the first conversation she has with her mom is like, your, uh, your brother's going to get married. I, I would really love it if you could be happy too. You know, it's like, if you could be happy, your dad would be so glad your late father. And, and she's like, well, tell that to my drug addict husband who cheats on me and abuses me. Right. It's like throughout this movie, it's like, Every time that Fumiko is in a scene with other people, everyone is so uncomfortable that she's there, right? Like even visually, she's set apart. I always remember this one scene where she sits down um, to pick up her kids from her uh, brother and uh, sister-in-law's house, and they're sitting on the tatami mat across from her in the main room. And when she sits down, she sits down so that perfectly her two children are framing her. So that we see the back of her head and we see her in the middle of it across from them. And what happens in that scene? They ask if they can stay there longer, right? It's like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, and it's just like the the way that the camera is constantly placing these tension points between her and other characters. I'm thinking of like there are several scenes where multiple characters will literally be looking out of bars, like either at the morgue or out a window that has bars on it. And she will be, um, Fumiko will be like framed within one of those bars. And then another character will be, um, you know, looking out the same window, but like we don't see them looking out the window together from the inside. Mm -hmm. We see it from the outside when the bars are between them. Right. Um, it just, it happens in almost every scene and it, it's just such a, beautiful way of illustrating the um the sort of like really 
existential tension between who Fumiko wants to be and who she wants to be seen as and what everybody else needs to see her as. And the fact that Fumiko is not playing along is like such a tremendous strain on these people, right? It's, yeah. it's fascinating to see that happen in motion. And anytime that a movie can do the Kurosawa thing and the Ozu thing in one movie and make it feel like good, normal and flowing it, that that's like only in retrospect, can I say that's a miracle? I remember talking a lot about our, on our Kurosawa episodes about like, man, this guy was really good at like staging and blocking and framing. And I was like, this is a revelation unto me. Cause I just hadn't like seen these movies this way before. It's a good impression of younger Jason, by the way. Thank you. I, I a little bit tinnier. You can't hear the mustache going br- 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 bristle. Um, but I, I did before we move on from that larger point about the, the cinematography shots framing and stuff uh aaron's been suspiciously quiet and i'm gonna call him out for it was there anything any shots any stuff that like made you pause and think this is important to know that this looks like this looks no i, I won't i won't do a specific shot just because i i have always found it really hard to talk mm. about that visual mm. stuff on the pod okay. but i will okay. say that uh uh tanaka i mean has there been I know where there, there's a series and whatnot. Has there been as much of a shoe in for at least a nomination for Queen of the Trilon in recent memory? I don't. I don't know. She's, That's, she's, I was watching. She's this got like, the makings. Ooh. Yeah, I am um, actor, director. Come, come on. Also, yeah. she she's a female director also, in 1950s Japan who made a movie about how about a woman who's afraid of having her art taken away from her and coming to mean something else. That's what that's this movie's qu- about. That's a queen it's if I've ever heard of one, yeah. <laughs> it, will, will she be the queen? Well, we will find out later this year, folks. Uh, also, I did want to say that uh, uh, Tsukioka, uh, I think this, this whole film kind of centers around her performance uh, in a way that is, I think, worth calling out and that, you know, I think all of the, uh, all of the kind of, side characters are are i think they do their part i think they're often quite good um uh hayama as the the journalist i think is is quite good as well we've already talked about the scene between them um but i think that i mean it is kind of tsukioka's uh show as far as uh uh performances go right um and i think mm-hmm. that she does a a very good job at uh everything that's required of her in, a, in a part that is i think quite demanding in a lot of ways and there's um, that that scene we were talking about um uh, where they're both laying on the mat and the camera sort of like uh, yeah. crosses the line and flip flops like that is incredibly acted. I think like she is obviously in a real state and he's sort of not sure what to do with it. They're both playing the part incredibly well. They become more comfortable over the course of the remaining movie. Um, just, but leading up to her death, she, uh, she, I think the last time that they see each other in the movie, he's got to leave maybe to correspond with his editor or whatever. Um, and he leaves the, the room and she says, go while my eyes are closed. And she's obviously distraught. She doesn't believe she's going to be alive the next time that, uh, you know, they could see each other. Uh, and he, po- he leaves the room, pops back in, in this like almost playful way. They look at each other in the mirror. Like she's got a little handheld mirror and she's turned over so that her back's facing him, but she's shining the mirror so that they can lock eyes again. Then they sort of like let this soft, uh, like it was uncomfortable to watch because I sort of knew what was coming, but really like sweet in the moment as far as like selling the performances of it is nice to have this little, we can, we've both peeked through like the, 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 the shroud of like the reality that you'll probably be dead by the next time we, we like we could ever see each other. Uh, and yet here we are sharing this small moment together. We both sort of undercut the expectation that we would actually like that this was actually goodbye. Um, and that for me was like, 
I, I mean, the whole movie is, is incredibly serviceably acted and stuff, but that moment for me was like that. If I was going to cry during this movie, it'd be during that exact moment because of their performances specifically. Did you cry? Did you cry? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I, I cried. Take, takes a big man to admit it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm never yeah, Well, I'm, I'm six foot. So, you know, you do the math. Um, don't do the math. It's easy. Six feet. Um, what is that? 72 inches. See, we got to have a Cody's Nodies trivia about Cody Narvison someday. That's How tall is Cody? Nodies? Mortifying Cody? ordeal of being noted. Um, Cody's, I do not. Yeah, yeah. Cody's Nodies go meta. Noted. Yeah. The, the, they're, uh, Cody's uh, Cody's Nodies. That's it. Noties. Yeah. It's like, it's like the suicide squad, the suicide squad, or just Cody's Nodie. You know, Dan, <laughs> so Dan really the, introduced a slippery slope on the Mandy episode when he yeah. when he turned and uh, put it to all of us. You um, weren't here. Aaron, not sure I like did, it. I wasn't, brought, and I have brought, not seen Mandy, so I've not seen. I've well, not well, it's not, it's not dependent. It's not dependent on Mandy. that. Sorry, he he literally hijacked Cody's noties at the when we were just announcing the winner. He said, "But wait, I've got a Dan's detour." And he threw a bunch oh! of questions at us, including a, a questions about our own right. podcast. What a fucking mensch. It was wait, anyway. Wait, anything about me on there? Anything? No, uh, no we didn't. Uh, okay. we, we all kind of forgot you were. No, he, he was like, know, how cute okay. is Aaron on a scale of one to ten? We all ten. said 11, And we all got the point. I love it. So, hey, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Uh, um, I, yeah, what yeah. I was... What I was originally going to say, um, yeah, took a little bit of a dance detour there, didn't we? Um, the uh, Which is fine. The, the sort of... Um, you know, those two characters kidding themselves, you know, briefly and sort of saying things like, you know, Hey, try to live. I'm going to go, but I'll be back and I'll see you next time. That's sort of for how sincere and like heart wrenching and honest as this movie can be. And very like open about showcasing. These are all of the, these are all the facets of of Fumiko's reality, just uh, that little wrinkle, just uh, these characters allowing themselves in in that situation, and also um, the the very very minor um, plot point of like the the patient that she was sharing the room with, like she like her leaving the room and then having these sort of you know like bowing to each other and having these glances. I don't think they. I don't think any words were like explicitly expressed, but the sort of sentiment of like wishing you the best, but like fearing the worst, you know what I mean? That the sort of the, these characters, you know, basically say like, can we allow ourselves just like that little bit? I don't know. That was a mm. nice, nice little thing to, to sprinkle over this, um, to, you know, let's, let's save ourselves from, you know, in, enduring and, you know, um, facing the, all of, all of this harshness for, for just, uh, a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, that did not stop, stop me from crying through the last like no, 10 minutes of this movie. Uh, it was very effective. It's strangely comforting those moments in a movie that's mostly devastating and mostly sorrowful, strangely comforting. Uh, it, it seems like a, a real classic. I'm so glad we got to see it, uh, through the trilon. Were there any last thoughts before we finalize our show? I, I don't know. Does this feel like a Cody's noticeable episode? Can we, do you got something prepared, Cody? <laughs> do I have something? Does, yeah. Yes, what kind of do. question is that? Fuck yes. Then it's not my job well, to introduce the, the, it, but the one question to... was how tall am I? And I gave that away. So we're, we're sort of fucked. I can try and whip something else up. Just give me a, <laughs> he's a He's actually, seconds. he's doing a famous breasts, uh, noties. It was not in the best of taste. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but he insisted on it. So, you know, we got to give it to him. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you certainly do not need to, and I quote, give it to me. <laughs> well, let's set it up. Uh, yeah, uh, Harry is the one who has to do this uh, for us. So you, That's you true. cut it off, big guy. 
I'm ready for Cody's famous breast segment of the show. It's the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Feet boobies. Thank you. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for that titillating introduction. I God, hate myself. No. Uh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> listen, uh, what what better platform through which to, to celebrate women and through a little something called Try Love Feud. Uh, to put it explicitly, today's theme will be the most popular movies on Letterboxd that were directed or co-directed by at least one woman. With that, I will now note that Trivia Mafia rules are in effect for the rest of this segment. And by that, I mean use your noodles, not your Googles or your Letterboxes to find the answers you seek. That being said, um, for you gentlemen here, I'm about to jump into the rules of the game just for the sake of our listeners who might be unfamiliar. Since y'all already kind of know how the game works, I would gently advise you, you know, over the next few minutes to start brainstorming um potential answers i'm seeing a lot of fun faces is this a goal to get us canceled cody is this i have the i have the these and then i have the utmost faith in y'all collectively i collectively between the three of you i'm sure we can get at least one um correct uh guess uh maybe two um but i'll again i'll I'll vamp a little to give you all time to, to brainstorm what i've done is i've collected the top 20 films on letterboxd excuse me, ranked by popularity, and uh, I plucked out the ones that were directed by women. I did need to compile this list by hand, which has not always been the case. I needed to scroll through a lot of movies, check a lot of names, um, and while I did double-check my work, my sincere apologies if I fuck something up along the way, but I've got a list here of 20. What I will do is ask each of you one at a time for a guess of a movie included in the list. Every guess comes with a 10-second window. To get a point, you'll need to correctly guess a movie that is on the list during your turn within that 10 seconds. There will be three strikes per person, and if you get three strikes, then you're canceled. No, then you're out for the remainder of the game. Uh, If you make an incorrect guess, uh, so like a movie that's not on the list, you'll get a strike. If you have a correct movie but stated an incomplete title of the movie, you'll get a strike. That is the Scott Pilgrim versus the World Amendment. Uh, and if you fail to guess a movie before the 10 second window is up, I will announce that time is up and you'll get a strike. So I would just always recommend guessing a title, even even if you know what's wrong. Um, the randomly generated order for this game will be Aaron, Jason, Harry. So buckle up, Mr. Grossman. Uh, and then just, you know, around a, a in a loop for as long as we need. Whenever it's the next person's turn, I will say that person is on the clock. And that's when I'll start silently counting down. Um, so yeah, I know it's hard to think of things uh, while under pressure, but I think there are enough feasible entries on this list. I'm confident y'all can collectively get, you know, one or maybe even a handful of correct guesses um and if that doesn't happen then jason you can edit that last 10 seconds out if you see fit um, but the winner will be the person with the most correctly guessed movies any questions before we get going gentlemen can i con- uh, oh sorry go ahead jason i just want to confirm you pulled the top 20 popular films on letterboxd uh and and plucked out the ones by women so are there 20 f- can i just confirm that there are 20 films from which we're pulling so like, I, the the list of the most popular movies on Letterboxd, I went down the list until I found 20 that were directed or okay. co-directed by women. So that's and like, what I needed to at, And I guess I didn't say this, but like as a fun little thing, I will, uh, if somebody, assuming somebody gets, uh, uh, you know, correctly guesses one of these, I will give you the number. Uh, I'll just say like, hey, for context, this is number blank on the list of most popular Perfect. letterbox movies just to like contextualize it. But yeah, good question. Um, any others um, here? Did you have yeah. one? Yeah. Uh, by popular, you mean most viewed or do you mean highest rated? 
Uh, m- uh, the first one. So like most viewed, most okay. long. So it could be um, a bet. Be I got one. it. Okay, thank you. Yep, yep, for sure. Any others? We good? Were you gonna say? All right. So it could be a bad yeah. movie, Harry. Absolutely. We did a lot yeah. of those on the Very list. much yeah. changes uh, the guesses I'm going to choose. Cody has yeah. the most shit eatenest grin I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I think I'm keeping a relatively neutral face. I'm not the fucking Cheshire Cat over here. Um, Cheshire Cat is the other big C. All right, so I'm going to. Um, uh, I've, I've got my little my little spreadsheet up. It's a regular size spreadsheet, um, but I've got my spreadsheet up, and um, I, I've got nothing else to do but say, Aaron, you are on the clock, man. Jason, are we not doing the music? Oh, okay. No, it's fine. Uh, but, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is the guess. No. And that is a point for Aaron because it is number five on this list of 20 uh, on the all-time letterbox, you know, popularity list. It is number 93. Number 93 for a movie that seemingly everybody in the world Ouch. saw. Uh, but yes, uh, point for Aaron. No strike earned. See, look at that. We're off to a great start. Um, as we pivot over to Jason. Jason, you are on the clock. Sorry. I'm going to say American Psycho. American Psycho is the guess. Um, American Psycho is number two on this list. Uh, and number 28, uh, number 28 on the all-time Letterboxd popularity list. I should say wow. for the ones, I don't I don't know of all these directors' names offhand. I should, Portrait of Lady on Fire, Celine Siama. Um, apologies for mispronunciation. American Psycho, Mary Heron. Um, mm-hmm. So those are, yeah, shout outs to them. And um, yeah, so we're, we're two for two so far. Uh, no strikes earned yet. We are over to Harry for his fr- uh, first guess. Harry, you are on the clock. I'm going to guess Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig. Lady Bird I'm by... Just play a little bit. Just to get it out there. Uh, uh, Harry, I don't know if you were... Um, it's it's uh, looking at a, a typo. It's um, uh, uh, Gary Gerwig who directed Lady Bird. I'm sorry, the famous mustachioed uh, director. No, I've got Lady Bird's number one on the list. Um, number Ooh. one. Uh, number 14 on the all-time letterbox popularity list. So that's some more, again, some more context for y'all. Look at that! Hey, y'all were raising your eyebrows, widening your pupils. You were so scared. Look at that. Three correct guesses. We are three for three. No strikes earned as of yet. Um, the cancellation has not yet commenced. Um, but hey, uh, we'll keep going here. We're back at the top of the queue. Uh, Aaron, you are back to being on the clock. No? No, Jason? Okay. Uh, the Matrix. Not the Matrix. <laughs> Gonna go with the Matrix. The Matrix, the Matrix uh, by the Wachowskis. Um, Wachowskis? Did I? In any case, that's number three. They're on, yes. of course, they're on the list. Um, number three uh, on this list, and number thirty-six on the all-time. Not number one. List. Really? Somehow, somehow. What? Um, it is kind of wild. Lady, Lady Bird came out Matrix. when Letterboxd was a thing. So everybody in the world saw Lady Bird and then wrote reviews of it. Not everybody is really like watching the number Matrix one. Since. I don't know what number one. Well, I think American Lady Psycho Bird. is out of the Matrix She's, too. I thought you just said it was number two. He just two. said that. No, Lady Bird is number one. Dog. Number one. We, we we have guessed we have guessed two, the top. We've well, guessed top five then. Four. We guessed we've guessed top. we've guessed four of the top five. Okay. Um, sure. So Lady, Lady Bird was one. American Psycho two. Matrix three. Portrait of a Lady on Fire four. 
Um, Good guy. And hey, Aaron just got number three on that list with the Matrix. So another point for Aaron. No strikes earned yet. Wonder who's going to be the first one to break the uh, proverbial seal. Um, the famous metaphor for that. Um, Jason, we're back to you. You are on the clock. I'm going to say point break. Point break is the guess and it is not on the list. I wish it was. I, man, that's, you know, some of these guesses that we have in Try Left Feud, I just say, it's like, oh, I wish that were the case. Um, and like, maybe I don't always mean it that one. I'm just like, oh, fuck. I really hate that that one's not in the top 20, but it's not. Um, so that is a strike for Jason. Everybody should watch Point Break um, if you want. I think we, we did an episode on that, that one, right? Am we I, did. We did. It is a very okay. good episode. But it does not bode well for the rest of my guesses because they are significantly <laughs> less popular movies yeah. than Point Break. <laughs> well, hey, hey we'll, we'll, maybe you'll think of something along the way. For now, though, we are pivoting to Harry for his second guess. Harry, you are on the clock. I'm kind of shocked that people didn't steal this one because I really felt like I queued it up, but I'm going to go with Little Women by Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig strikes again. Little Women, number four on this list, number 40 on the all-time list. That is another point for Harry. So the score... Uh, scoreboard as it stands, Aaron and Harry are tied with the lead uh, at two points. Jason is on the board with one, and uh, subsequently he also has a strike. Still, of course, uh, pretty much anybody's game. Um, we've got a, a good amount of entries yet to be guessed. Uh, the top five have all been guessed. So wow. um, we're, we're looking at six through 20. And not is that, 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 that might be the first time that's happened on Trial of, is that we've got oh, the, the top five I mean, locked. The, this is the most, I'm, I'm pretty sure the most amount of correct guesses collectively that we've gotten <laughs> wow, in, in any one of these. So, <laughs> You know what? Hey, this you know what? This is better than our animated action. films one where we just were like, <laughs> angel's egg. I gotta be honest, I don't really think that, that our knowledge or lack of knowledge about this has anything to do with our uh, feminism. No. Yes, and, but, hey, I don't I think am, that there's any Am I not going there. to be performative in this aspect no i don't think so and in case in case there's any doubt you know what got a break in the action here a little little intermish let's go ahead and give it up for women shall we hey let's do it okay All great right, we're work doing this bit again i'll it's a good bit it's I'm a clapping bit. well yeah. that's it no i take that it's bad bit. it's a good bit um yeah. you know what you know what else is uh, a good bit this game um aaron we're back to you yeah, uh, intermish is over aaron you're on here. the clock i'm yeah? feeling pumped I'm feel, the number six has not been guessed. I'm guessing this might be number six. I, I mean, feeling real good. Uh, Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation is the guess. It's not number six. It is number uh, 10. Okay, number 10. Uh, and 140 on the, nice. the all-time uh, uh, you know, popularity list with, with all the films. With all the films. Uh, so, Aaron, three for three. No strikes earned as of yet. Um, what being a wife guy does to an MFR, um, he can succeed at this at this game from the looks of it. Um, we move along to to Jason, who is not uh, uh, not quite in, in camp wife guy just yet. So you bit at a bit of a disadvantage. Let's see if he can um, you know uh, avoid getting strike number two. Jason, you are on the clock. Uh, if a semi wife guy is like you've got a girlfriend, maybe I'm like. You have five seconds. Hen- Hen- oh, um, I'm going to go for Cleo from five to seven by Agnes Varnum. Cleo from five to seven is the guess. Uh, that is regrettably not on the list either, but that is another movie that everybody should watch. And another, dude, we did an episode on that one, right? Did I, did I black out? We did an episode on that one. Yes. My, we had, I believe oh, we had Emily yeah. Sui on for that one. Yeah, we did. Because she Man. liked to talk about, um, about the beach house. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. That's Remember? right. Wow. And because she had good I insights do. into that film. That too. Yeah. Let's give it up for women, Jason. Goes without saying. Uh, moving along to um, self-appraised semi-wife guy. Um, patent pending on that one. But uh, Harry Mackin, you are on the clock. I'm going to try first cow. First cow is the guess. Um, you, you can see, folks, he's not he's not in full wife guy mode yet because that is not on the list. Um, so no first Ooh. cow. I get the guess, though. I mean, that was like quarantine movie, le- big letterbox. I forgot that. You know, face. Any, like, no matter how stupid I get about letterbox, I have to get a little bit stupider. And not very many people uh, liked that or saw that movie, even though letterbox people did. My favorite, my favorite bit is whenever Harry gets a question wrong, he'll just like turn outward and just like blame something or somebody else. <laughs> Fucking letterboxed. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, you're fault. right, Cody. I am, after all, famously. Uh, I have a famously external locus of control. I definitely don't internalize anything as my own fault. So none of us did at all. Yeah. Why, why would you, you even suggest both? that? A 360 locus of control. This is this is sick. <laughs> we gotta stop doing think, this to these I, people. We Tony, I've got one. Hawk, Can you come t- back to me, please? Tony Hawk landed that <laughs> trick, right? The three 360 locus of control. Uh, it's, I don't know. Jason, Jason play the music. I gotta uh, Aaron, you were on the clock. I'm gonna go for the Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker is the guess. Low-hanging fruit. Uh, you say that. But that is a strike. Um, it is not on this list. So, so Nobody watched, nobody's watched that what? movie since it came out. Nobody's watched that movie it's, since it came out. What? I did once. Yeah, well, I think Jeremy Renner released what? his app and then a bunch of people probably watched yes, it. Locker, it right? sparked. Frankly, Cody, I think your methods here may be called into question. Uh, if you didn't factor in the Jeremy Renner app, I don't know if. Uh, ooh. Are these statistically uh, that, significant? Uh, I don't know. Hey, uh, well, I'll take that into consideration whenever there's a Jeremy Renner series playing at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wink, I'm going to stop talking before I just go oh, into God, the outro don't automatically. Lay heaven. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think he's okay. That app thing is pretty funny, though. Um, you know what's not funny is the prospect of Jason getting a third strike. We are back to Jason. He's at a point. Let's see if he can stay in there. Jason, you're on the clock. Sorry, I pressed the button early, but I'm going with The Power of the Dog by Jane Campion. The Power of the Dog is the guess. Power of the, uh, the Power of the Dog is number 18 on this list. Number 239 on the uh, all-film popularity go- list. He hangs in there, folks. Um, that low-hanging fruit Aaron was talking about, Jason is clinging to it. He's dangling. <laughs> That I got two of them, baby. Nominee right here. and uh, near top contender from last year being number eighteen is very dark for the rest of these guesses. Uh, I, see, folks. Harry Pla- Harry planted the whole like it came out since Letterbox was a thing in my brain, and that's like you get like four off. That's that it. Is the thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's a clean... and then it's like, but then but then like Pulp American Fiction. Psycho no, is number two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway. Thank you, Cody. Yeah. Hey. Well. From, uh, you know what? Thank you, and thank you. Harry, for being here for this game and for this podcast and this <clears throat> this episode. I'm getting choked up, uh, if you can't tell. But um, we're back to you, Harry. Uh, you got one strike, and you're on the clock. I'm going to try Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey is the guess. Or, I think it's or the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Isn't that the full title? I believe I that think is. you probably nailed it. 
full disclosure i was that is the one i'm not gonna make you fucking say that monster of a title that joke of a title it is number 17 on the list um but i think you did nail the full title anyway um it's number 232 on the full the full version of the list um I, i think now let's hear another quick pause reassess where we're at aaron and harry three points jason two points aaron and harry one strike apiece jason two strikes Still, I don't know what to tell you, folks. It's still anybody's game. What number was that on the list? Because that that's really bad for my next get. What number was that on uh, the list? B- Birds of Prey, number seventeen. Power of the Dog was eighteen. Okay, I'm going. Never mind. I'm going with a safer guess. All right. Well, hey, <laughs> if, if you're if you if you teed it up, if we if you teed it up, go ahead. Dumber. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dumb it down. Please. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, Wait, you are on my turn, the. Right? Yes. Uh, Aaron, you're on the clock. Uh, uh, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is the uh, guest. I'm going Wonder Woman, folks. And and hey, folks, the name of the name of the game is just think dumber. Uh, Wonder Woman number thirteen uh, and number one eighty six on the full version of the list. So Aaron stays at one strike. He's up to four points. We move to Jason. Two points. Two strikes. You're on the clock. My guess is Nomadland. Nomadland is the guess. Nomadland number sixteen on this list, number two twenty six on the the you know the full list. Um, and just hey, looking at this, we got half of them, folks. We got half of the twenty. This is far and away the best collective performance of the the Trilove crew. The the, the better panelists. than the animated films. Well, I guess we just lost I, all I like, the so. Shrek ones and shit at that point. Yeah, yeah, I think that yeah. was actually a pretty poor showing, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah that's yeah nothing nothing to write home about not that i write home about um podcast things but yeah no madland uh that's so that's a point for jason he's up to three points move over to to harry uh let's see let's see if we can get past 50 percent and up to what's in it 55 percent. see i did the math for everybody again harry you're on the clock yeah sorry i'm i'm not above this i'm just gonna try the eternals um uh i think you shot yourself in the foot uh eternals is the guess um I'm, I'm feeling, yeah. I mean, Eternals is on the list, number twelve. It is just Eternals. Come on, I don't know what we uh, want to. I, I don't know. Sorry, I, I, I mean, he, he gets he gets the point because that's a really Actually, fucking yeah. stupid. That's that is a yeah, stupid. Place I thought for, for that sure movie. that'd be the yeah. case where like it's like so far it's the since, more than since you would think. Down you think like oh Wonder Woman, okay, getting to like the Marvel well, thing, the this, DC, this, and then it's this like, no. question. This answer is explicitly why I asked Cody about popular versus most rated. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But yeah, Eternals uh, number twelve on this list. Number one hundred seven. The one hundred seventy seventh most logged movie on Letterboxd. That, that is twelve. You said that's uh, no, yeah number twelve on this list. Um. So yeah, uh, four apiece for Harry and Aaron, three for Jason. We'll just keep beefing up this episode runtime. Um, back at the top with Aaron. Aaron, you are on the clock. I'm going. Now this is where I shoot myself in the foot with the Eternals-esque answer. I'm going uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, That's not going to be on dog. the fucking list. It's not. Wonder Woman 1984 is the guess, and that is strike two for one Aaron Grossman. Um, start to see it, folks. yes, just yep, that's just yeah, two strikes. Um, still sharing the lead with four points. Um, you know, slimmer pickings, obviously. Now, um, got to really dig deep into your lovely, um, feminist leaning brains. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we can we can find something there. Uh, as we move to Jason for your next guest, Jason, you are on the clock. 
Um, see, the thing is that all of these movies, except for Eternals, kind of deserve to be popular um, by virtue of them. Uh, I'm going to say, I know it's not on there, but You Were Never Really Here by Lynn Ramsey. You have five seconds, Jason. Oh, You're Never Really Here? Uh, not on the list. Strike Three. Great movie, though. Goodbye. Um, really, really great movie. Uh, so Jason taps out with three points, which is, um, uh, I guess, you know, confirmed confirmed uh second slash third place depending on what happens Thank with you. with Thank aaron you. and harry here um more than i've hey, gotten in this game got on the board so yeah yay verily um and we move over to harry four points one strike as of yet let's let's see what he can pull out here harry, uh harry you are on the clock i'm gonna try mean girls mean girls is the guess um, Mean Girls is Strike Two. I want to say that was directed by a man. Um, okay, I couldn't remember if Tina Fey directed so, it. I just remember she, oh, she uh, wrote it. She wrote, yeah, she yeah, like wrote it or co-wrote it, right? And yeah, that's uh, she co-wrote it with um, oh, whatever. It's not important. I was uh, yeah. In any case, no. hey, Mean Girls. We didn't do an episode on that one. Um, no. John Moret, looking at you, program that suck. Uh, when is somebody to gonna? recognize that film you know yeah uh, with, uh, about with, damn time when culturally will it come into prominence criterion uh, when? when indeed and when indeed will we stop nailing these guesses uh aaron and harry are at four points apiece share of the lead they're sitting at two strikes so you know the next incorrect guess is gonna boot uh, you know either one of them out of the game depending on who's guessing we're back at the top with aaron aaron you are on the clock Uh, I have a bunch of guesses. I cannot imagine any of them. I've been logged more than Black Widow. Black Widow is the guess. Please. That movie Black had a Widow. director? Oh, Black on. Widow is number six on this list. It is the oh, 113th okay. oh my God. most logged film on Letterboxd. Uh, so the point for Aaron, his fifth correct guess of the game and let's see if we go if we go point for point here as we move back to Harry. Harry, you are on the clock. This is going to be tough. I don't I don't know if I can do this. Um, I'm gonna. I could either. Uh, I'll just try Matrix Resurrections to start. Matrix Resurrections is the guess. That is strike three for Harry. Um, final oh. scores as they panned out. Aaron with five. Harry with four. Jason with three. I will now go through. Can I guess and- one more? One more, just sure. I want to see if I could have gone the other way. Is uh, Jennifer's body on there? No, nope. Is Mikey is Zero Dark on Thirty there? on there? Is Zero Dark Thirty? That was my other big. Otherwise, it was a bunch of Matrix sequels. That Zero I Dark Thirty is not. Here, so. uh, Jason, okay. did you have one? Mikey and Nikki. <laughs> no, are you fucking uh, Mikey? France is hot. What are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I will now. I will now. Hot so y- y- y'all, yeah, y'all went through your your Nostradamus attempts and they did not take. I will now start from twenty and work backwards up the list. Uh, number twenty, Twilight. Number nineteen, mm. Clueless. Number eighteen, mm. The Power of the Dog. Uh, Seventeen, Birds of Prey. Sixteen, Nomadland. Fifteen, uh, Turning Red, which is I think that it's a oh, Pixar yeah, movie. The Pixar like, movie. Disney yeah, noted, an okay one. Yeah. yeah. The, um, Fourteen, Promising Young Woman. 13, Wonder Woman, 12, Eternals, uh, 11, Shrek, 10, Lost in Translation, 9, Booksmart, 8, Little Miss Sunshine, 7, Captain Marvel, 6, Black Widow, 
five portrait of a lady on fire we got all these four little women three the matrix two american psycho and one lady Lady marvel you know honestly the new the new rule for try love or try feud should just be um guess shrek you're probably yes. going to be all right. Shrek has been, what, two out of three, three out of yeah. four of these so You just got to oh, just God. go with Shrek. It's a you know, popular film that fits in a lot of different – It's it intersects with a bunch of different, uh, you know, flags and whatnot in the database. It does. <sighs> well, yeah, that was – hey, thanks for playing. Uh, this was Trila Feud. Um, Aaron, does that count as your pop-off? Do you want to pop-off in any particular way? Uh, um, the floor is yours. You know, look, uh, wife guy, uh, films directed by women. I mean, you know, hand in hand, two, two together yeah. here, yeah. match made in heaven. Uh, yeah. As are you. There's and your no wife. need to brag about. I will remain humble in this victory, specifically mm, due to the cameras off, subject matter, and the subject matter of the film, which is fairly somber that we talked about. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, a moment of uh, respect, huh? Uh, thank well, thank you, Aaron, for being such a, a gracious victor. Uh, thank you, Cody, for another exciting round of Cody's noties. I actually, I, I lost handily, but I felt better about that round than I have maybe of any uh, round of trial of feud before. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Harry, for always bringing a trenchant insight and fun points alongside that. I, I thanked both of them for stuff. So I felt like it was, it was in order. Um, but this has been one episode in a series of films uh, playing at the trial on uh, by Kinuyo Tanaka director of the 50s and 60s uh and you can check out more of those movies at trylon.org we've also got a link in the show notes to the whole series at the trylon we may or may not cover all of these movies we'll try to figure it out because of the showing schedule and how and where we can make it also there's a bunch of disney movies playing at the trylon this month uh check those out too if you have any i guess nostalgia for those movies it's probably a really fun way to watch them on 35 and uh and sort of in 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 the theater maybe a cool way i mean we did it with goofy movie and that you just don't get better than that we gotta we gotta take credit for that by the way that they cracked open the disney vault because we're obsessed with goofy movie um i'm just going to take credit for that anyway animated films in general you know yeah the cone series the yeah all that (laughs) stuff i was just like yeah just give them what they want they always talk about wanting to watch more animated films we got bambi we got Snow White. We got all Cinderella, the great mouse that they've been asking for. I do really yeah. like the idea that John did this to punish us. He was like, "Oh, you motherfuckers <laughs> like animated films, huh? I got some <laughs> shit for you." It's called American anime. <laughs> Guess what, you fucking weebs? <laughs> Have fun talking about Disney. Wait, uh, we'll see. We'll see how many of those we cover. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Trial of Podcast or Twitter at Trial of Podcast for more information about stupid bullshit that we post. Uh, hey, DM us there. Send us an email at Trial of Podcast at gmail.com to get in touch if you want to be on an episode or talk about movies or whatever. It's how a few people have ended up on our podcast, like our most recent episode, excuse me, guest episode uh, by Dan Nagan, uh, one before that, Nick Cooey, just they just wanted to talk about movies and they told us they wanted to talk about movies. So, Hey, if you want to talk about movies, talk to us and we'll see what we can do. My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at try love or God damn it. At hit it. Nintendo, uh, Nintendo at hit it. Thank you. Uh, at Nintendo fist is where you can find Jason. Um, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Uh, one quick note, mostly for the fellas here, just, Hey, you know, speaking of goofy movie, um, and like, you know, events and milestones and things like that, I believe we're in the process of recording episode number 191. So if that, you know, just, you know, something, something to think about, uh, I, and this is, I'm going to leave this it will at be that. 190, I'm, but you are right. It is. I, then we get, then we got to change our, our internal doc. Cause I thought we had Mandy at 190. I could be wrong. Uh-oh. Oh, but well, in we, any we, case, yeah, anyway, 
in any case, um, hey, something to keep in mind. Uh, it's already in mind, baby. Yeah, plans are in motion, Cody. Fear not. Uh, I keeps me up at night thinking about that. So thank you for the reminder. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake here. My name is Aaron, uh, reigning Cody's Nodies Trivia Champ. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Like a weed floating in water, I'm swaying in the ocean of life. Oh.